Connects talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing Johnson & Johnson funding human asbestos experiments and Swift Medical's new imaging device for remote wound care. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kovacevich. Thank you for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story today about Johnson & Johnson's woes over their baby powder, continuing woes, may I say. So Johnson & Johnson's baby powder troubles don't look like they'll be going away anytime soon. Um, Newly unsealed court documents, which were first reported on by Bloomberg, uh, have showed that the company funded human experiments in the 1970s which involved injecting almost a dozen inmates in a Pennsylvania jail with asbestos. In one of the studies, the investigators wanted to look at the possible cancer-causing effects of asbestos versus talc, which is one of the main ingredients in the baby powder. And they wanted to test the effects of asbestos on the skin of the prisoners, and so that's why they injected them directly with the compound. The investigators paid the prisoners for their participation, most of whom were black. The studies were conducted by dermatologist Dr. Albert Kligman at Holmesburg Prison in Pennsylvania, and he performed hundreds of experiments over about two decades at the jail. Kligman's human experimentations were known at the time, and they were known for decades afterward. Uh, appearing in newspapers and books and things like that. But Johnson & Johnson's particular involvement in them has only been revealed now. Now, in addition to Johnson & Johnson, uh, the U.S. government as well as Dow Chemical were other big players that also funded these asbestos studies. Mined talc is prone to asbestos contamination because the two minerals are often found together in nature. So Johnson & Johnson, of course, has been hit with tens of thousands of lawsuits to date. I think it's almost 38,000 lawsuits uh, up until now by women who claim that using the company's uh, asbestos-contaminated baby powder caused cancer, namely cancers like ovarian cancer and mesothelioma. Now, Johnson & Johnson discontinued selling the baby powder in North America, in the U.S. and Canada, in May 2020, saying that there was a drop in demand. Now, these unsealed asbestos experiment files were unearthed in two trials last year uh, related to uh, J&J's baby powder. So Bloomberg said that according to legal experts, this information could be very significant evidence in future cases and could justify punishment awards. Now, what does Johnson & Johnson have to say about these asbestos experiments? Well, the company acknowledged the baby powder studies and expressed remorse over them. Um, However, they also defended the past experiments, you know, just saying that uh, they were due to poor bioethical standards at the time under which this type of human testing 
was allowable. So that's why, you know, they just went ahead with it because it was common practice at the time. Uh, however, Johnson & Johnson saying that they do deeply regret the conditions under which these studies were conducted, and in no way do they, re they, do they reflect the values or practices we employ today. And this is according to a company's spokeswoman, uh, Kim Montanino, who uh, spoke to Bloomberg, first broke the story. So if we take a look at these asbestos uh, studies, um, Kligman, he, uh, the dermatologist who was the lead on many of these studies, recruited 10 inmates, and one of them, to receive injections of tremolite and chrysotile asbestos, as well as a shot of talc in their lower backs. Now, according to a Brown University medical professor, David Eggelman, who testified as an expert for plaintiffs in several of the talc cases pertaining to Clidman's 1971 paper on the study, the chrysotile form of asbestos had the biggest effect on the skin of the prisoners. Um, so they caused granulomas, which are basically cells that are clumped together in a raised area. And these lesions on the skin can be indicative of things like lung disease or other conditions linked to asbestos exposure. Um, in another study, Kligman and his colleagues looked at whether the type of containers that the baby powder was stored in could have an effect on the skin. According to a 1968 report on the study, the investigation involved 50 healthy adult males from the Holmesburg prison, of whom 44 were black. And so after they were given uh, talc, a shot of talc from different containers and covered with dressings, uh, Kligman reported that neither sample from the different containers caused a reaction. And of course, these studies are yet again another example of the historical racial medical abuse that black people were subjected to in America's health systems. And this, of course, has spread to significant medical mistrust among black communities um, in America, which continues to, uh, today. So that generational trauma from that um, still resonates deeply today. Uh, I, one of the prisoners who participated in Clayton's studies, uh, Leodis Jones, told a newspaper in the late 90s that the tests left white scars on his back. And his daughter said that when she saw the scars, um, this was when she was four or five years old, that they left her, quote-unquote, shaken. So although uh, Jones, who passed away in 2018 at age 74, said he couldn't remember if he was actually a subject of the experiments, his daughter is asking uh, Penn to pay reparations to the families of Holmesburg prisoners who participated in the research. Um, and last year, Penn's medical school, where Clifton, uh taught and practiced, uh, he, uh, sorry, Penn's medical school apologized for Clifton's testing and then also renamed his dermatology professorship after a black and Kligman's tests uh, came to an end in 1974 after a public outcry over the studies. So Johnson & Johnson continues to face a lot of heat. Um, so this is just, just a, you know, yet a, another revelation um, in Johnson & Johnson's, you know, long pending um, 
lawsuits and troubles over its baby powder. Uh, recently, the company also came under fire by for its uh, strategy of leveraging what is called a Texas two-step bankruptcy approach after its appeal to overturn a $2.1 billion payout to 22 women and their families. And this was cut from an initial payout of $4.7 billion because some of the plaintiffs were out of state. Um, so that appeal was rejected by the Supreme Court of Missouri. So to, you know, offset the costs of paying, you know, this $2.1 billion, what Johnson & Johnson did was that they offloaded the liabilities to a subsidiary, and then that subsidiary filed for bankruptcy. Uh, the strategy received a lot of backlash and was attacked in court. Uh, however, it ultimately received backing from a judge, citing that, you know, this was uh, a legal thing that they could do, so they went ahead and the company has also been drawing a lot of uh, criticism for refusing to stop distribution of its baby powder outside of North America. So it's still being sold in, in Europe and places in Asia and all around the world. So TulipShare, which is a London-based investment platform which allows customers to pool shares, proposed a shareholder vote to halt sales of the baby powder globally, including in the UK. So the company submitted the proposal to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Committee, or the SEC, ahead of Johnson & Johnson's annual meeting, which is expected to be sometime in April. So Johnson & Johnson has been pushing back and has called on the SEC to ban the presentation, claiming that the proposal falls under ordinary business operations and doesn't need to be discussed at an annual meeting. It also sent a letter to Tulip Share and the SEC, saying that the proposal implicates Johnson & Johnson's litigation strategy and pending lawsuits to which it's a party involving towel-based baby powder. TulipShare has hit back saying that Johnson & Johnson is using the litigation as an excuse to avoid shareholder debate and to silence investors on a major health issue. However, Johnson & Johnson maintains that its baby powder is safe, does not contain asbestos, and does not cause cancer. So, uh, there is a lot of information there. It's, uh, it's never one particular story with, with Johnson & Johnson pertaining to its baby powder because of, you know, all of the issues around it. So, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this latest revelation um, regarding the uh, unsealed documents revealing these human experiments involving asbestos. Well, I to me, it's, it seems like that if they were doing these experiments in the 1970s, I mean, in the early 1970s, right, it appears like there was some kind of concern even back then that the baby powder could have asbestos contamination. Otherwise, why would they also inject inmates with asbestos, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Like, why do the experiment in the first place? That was just my thought. Absolutely. And this is, you know, um, where the criticism comes from for Johnson & Johnson. It's, they knew for decades that their baby powder may have been contaminated with asbestos. And, you know, the lawsuits that have been filed are based on a lot of evidence, court documents uh, showing that there were essentially cover-ups about this, you know, higher-level executives. Everybody, you know, in the company or the, you know, 
the executives there, they all knew what was going on. They all knew there was a concern of asbestos, and there were also studies that had shown this, but they continued to do nothing about it and actually you know, tried to cover it up. So that's why, um, exactly, exactly like you're saying, because there was this concern that they very well knew about, which is why they were conducting these kinds of experiments to see um, in relation to their baby powder. Yeah, and asbestos, this mineral... Um, it was identified as a carcinogen by U.S. researchers back in the 1950s. So that was probably 50s, 70 yeah. years ago now. Exactly. And 20 years before these yeah. experiments in the 70s, right, that Johnson & Johnson was funding. So it was known. This was, a, you know, it, it was well known that asbestos um, is carcinogenic and other baby powder may be contaminated with it. So they were, you know, well aware, and so this is where the, you know, the uh, criticism really comes from. So a lot of uh, issues there, and it's just, um, I mean, do you think this is a valid excuse that, well, you know, back in the day, you know, these kinds of human experiments were acceptable, and so that's why we were just, you know, doing things that were in line with how things were done back in the day. I kind of feel that part should have not been said. I was going to say the exact same thing. I think even though that might have been true, um, you know, they just participated in, in these types of experiments because other companies were, that may have flown back then, but I think by today's standards, that is not something you even need to say because you should just own up to it and you should you know, be remorseful of it and condone, you know, that behavior uh, rather than excusing it as something that, you know, just was, was common back in the day. So I think that was a mistake, um, you know, PR wise and just yeah. there's, you know, recalling a product obviously is not good for a company's reputation, but letting it go on this long is so much worse. They made the wrong call, no doubt about it. Yeah, and it also bothered me that they were doing these experiments on inmates. Like, I just feel like that should have not been done in the first place. Um, I, I don't, yeah, it's like they, they went to prisons and knowingly injected people with asbestos, which they knew was a carcinogen. So all of the whole story just sounds awful. It's kind of like, well, was this also common practice back in the day to go, you know, to, to prisons or to, you know, these marginalized populations um, and, and to use them as uh, studies uh, participants? And, of course, most of them were black as well. So it's just compounding, uh, you know, all of these factors compounding on top of each other. And it's not a good look for Johnson & Johnson right now at all. And I'm also surprised that, you know, They've pulled uh, the baby powder in North America off of store shelves, but they're still selling it worldwide. So did you say? Did you say they pulled it two years ago? Okay. Yes. Yeah, they pulled it two years ago uh, in Canada and the U.S. only. But they're saying, you know, they maintain now that oh well, the baby powder is safe; it doesn't contain asbestos, and we just pulled it because there was a drop in demand. But then. I don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. In the UK, like that group is, 
pushing for it to be pulled there as well. So I just <laughs> they're not coming out of this unscathed. It just seems like it's getting worse and worse as more and more of these revelations are, are coming out. We'll see what the next one is, I guess. All right, I'm going to move on to another story, and this is about a pretty cool new medical device. Uh, so Toronto-based Swift Medical, so Toronto represent here, <laughs> which is a leader in digital wound care technologies, has introduced a new imaging device that can assist in the treatment and monitoring of skin and wound conditions. The medical device is called the Swift Ray One, and it's touted to be the world's first all-in-one hyperspectral imaging device. I'm going to come back to what hyperspectral imaging exactly is. So this device is small enough to fit into the palm of your hand and in your pocket, and it's wirelessly mounted onto the camera of a smartphone, offering powerful collection of images of the skin. Now, the Swift Ray One captures information beneath the skin, according to the company, that is not visible to the naked eye to help make better assessments of skin and wound issues. Swift Medical says that the advanced imaging in its digital wound care device allows for the extraction of accurate clinical data for patients, regardless of skin tone, which makes wound care more accessible for everyone. The Swift Ray One connects with Swift Medical's proprietary wound management app, which provides clinicians with real-time information on how a patient's wound is healing, and this assists in clinical and operational decision-making. It can also be integrated with electronic health record system to help clinicians access, store, and share data uh, to improve clinical effectiveness and ultimately outcomes. So in North America, more than 8.2 million people currently suffer from chronic wounds, and there is a significant health challenge worldwide. In addition, chronic wounds are often associated with other common chronic conditions like hypertension and diabetes. So the company says that as rates of obesity, diabetes, and other chronic conditions continue to skyrocket, the number of patients at risk of developing wounds will continue to rise. And so that's why this device um, is definitely timely and very relevant in, in the realm of wound care and uh, in the context of um, chronic diseases. So the device Swift Ray One captures and analyzes key physiological characteristics of wounds, which can show whether there is something concerning or if there are any issues in the healing process. For example, signs of infection, uh, perfusion, bacterial invasion, inflammation, as well as blood oxygen levels. And of course, these types of indications are often not um, visible with the human eye, especially in early stages. So this digital wound care device can highlight these beneath-the-skin characteristics through long-wave infrared, near-infrared, ultraviolet, and enhanced red-green and blue imaging technology. So as I mentioned, Swift Ray One is based on hyperspectral imaging technology in which a larger number of wavelengths and narrower bands of light are analyzed from each pixel in an image rather than just assigning 
uh, primary colors of red, green, and blue. So this allows for more information to be extracted from each pixel in the image. Uh, in addition to digital wound care, this Swift Ray 1 can also help detect other skin conditions and traumas, injuries, including the early detection of deep tissue injuries as well as pressure injuries. And with the capacity for remote monitoring, the company says that Swift Ray 1 allows clinicians to capture and share images at any bedside, enabling healthcare centers to provide more accessible, efficient, and preventive care. I thought this is a really cool device. Um, the image that I used from Swift Medical, uh, you know, just shows how small and how convenient this device is to just attach onto your cell phone as an accessory, but it's so powerful. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I looked at their website and I looked at the device and yeah, it literally looks like just a a centimeter or two centimeters in diameter and you just attach it to the top of a of the phone camera. I wonder if it works for every phone or is it just Android or iPhone? Um, well, I would think that, um, I'm not sure, but I would think that would be compatible. Yeah, with most cell phones. You know, Yeah, I would hope, yeah. <laughs> Unless they have different versions for like iPhones versus uh on iPhones and Samsung's and stuff like that, but I would, ima I would imagine that they would be compatible with a wide range of different phones. Yeah, and um, I, I was on their website, and they they said that the Swift Ray 1 works in any lighting, like inside or outside, um, so... And on any skin yes. um, tone, so that, you know, that's also a, a really powerful thing to have, so... You know, I like the fact that they were like, we really want to make wound care accessible. So this is for all patient populations and, um, you know, with the remote monitoring aspect of it. So I think it's really like an all-in-one type of thing for wound care. And we don't really think about, for me personally, I didn't, you know, we don't really think about wound care as being such a great problem. I was really uh, surprised to, to hear about the 8.2 million people that suffer from chronic wounds. Uh, so it's quite a problem, and I actually, come to think of it, my mom is ha having issues with her feet. Um, she has circulation issues, and she does have, like, a wound in one of her nails. So, you know, you just never know when these kinds of things may hit. And it can also apply to, you know, skin and other tissue injuries as well. So I think it's pretty cool. Like, let's say you get a bump, you know, against a wall or your desk, and then you can just take out this device to see whether you know, how deep the damage is, essentially. Do you guys see yourself using something like this? It's or? really funny. Last night, I um, got a small blister on my lip, and I started really worrying about it. And, you know, when, when things happen like that, your first instinct is to just Google it. And obviously, that's not very reliable because you're going to find out your this is your last day on earth. So <laughs> this is a great device because I think it will give people, especially who experience, um, you know, who have uh, wounds, um, you know, it'll give them a more legitimate, like, uh, or just reassurance or assurance that like, you know, what it is rather than, you know, turning to the internet, going to the doctor, like it's, it's quick, it's easy. 
Um, and I was going to ask, do we know, um, you know, is this something that will be available just for purchase, um, you know, via the company or is this something you would get prescribed? That's a good question. Um, I don't know any of those details. Um, it does say that it is available mm. for order, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, you just have to contact the company and they also do demos as well. So you can request for a demo. Um, so yeah, I think if you just contact them, um, you'll be able to get more information. But, um, yeah, that's a great point in terms of, uh, you know, just hopping onto good old <laughs> battle Google for everything. But, you know, this reminds me of, you know, some of the other medical devices that we've talked about as well on, on the podcast where it's kind of like, these companies are really trying to give you the, the better alternative to Google on your phone, right? So, you know, everyone's using their phone these days. Now it's kind of like, okay, let's integrate these kinds of technologies and uh, accompanying apps as well that can give you a, a better, more health scientific-based assessment of, you know, a health issue rather than just going onto, onto Google. So I think this is a, a really, really cool um, and unique kind of a device, but it does also echo and reflect kind of the changes we're seeing in the area overall. Yeah, I also went back to their website because I was really curious, you know, what kind of smartphones it works with. And they say that it works with the vast majority of iOS and Android devices from iOS 11 and Android Nugget. So, yeah, I okay. also... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also think um, <laughs> this device is going to be really useful for um, pharma companies and CROs if they, they want to do clinical trials. Trials. I was just thinking that. Yeah, absolutely. Because we know that like remote monitoring is a huge thing and, you know, decentralized or hybrid trial models and the use of health wearables. Um, and this is, would fall under that category for sure. So um, that, that's also an increasing thing in clinical trials um, with respect to, to remote monitoring. So I think this is would definitely uh, be something very useful in, in trials. And I think they have been using it in trials as well. I think um, they say that, you know, this device is trusted by over 4,000 organizations. This is ranging from universities to home care to, you know, pharma companies as well. So. All right, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find XTalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.